Thomas, what are you most excited for? Barbie, Oppenheimer, Mission Impossible uh, 7. Dead Reckoning Part 1. Honestly, probably Mission Impossible, but uh, okay. I am, I'm I'm very excited for this next week of, of film going. Um, it's a solid week. It's yeah, solid we week. got we got Mission Mission Impossible drops here on Monday. Like It starts on mo the Monday. They're yeah. doing early screenings, which is Monday, but then it comes out on Tuesday officially. Yeah. They're they're doing early screens today as recording this Sunday. They're doing early screens today in in, in like Burbank. Well, I'll be seeing it. I'll be seeing it when the day this episode comes out, which I need to go back and rewatch <laughs> the first one because I haven't seen the yeah. first one in a while, and I understand. It's, I'm sure it all ties in together because Henry Cerny is going to be there. But um, I I love that franchise. I absolutely love that franchise. I cannot tell you. I've I've said it before. Like Fallout was one of the best theater experiences I've ever had. That movie is insane. Yeah, it was the, the weekend movie pass, bro. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was. Uh, I saw it on movie was, pass. Yeah. I was one of the only people who did. Thanks, yeah. Mark Cuban. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm. Yeah, I want to see Blind Spying that weekend first, and I was like, couldn't get in, and I was like, well, I guess I'm just gonna pay to go see Blind Spotting, <laughs> which was great. Yeah, I love Blind Spying too. I saw that on movie pass. But yeah, I've got I've got Mission Impossible, and then we're doing because a bunch of people from work. Uh, we're we're working Friday. So we had talked about a Saturday matinee or Saturday double feature like people are doing. But what we're doing is Friday night Barbie, Saturday night Oppenheimer, oh. because Oppenheimer after a full day of work just feels like a lot, you know? Oh, that, that, that feels depressing. Yeah. That feels depressing. Yeah, I got into it with someone yesterday where they're like, I don't want to be spoiled by Oppenheimer. And I was like, well, they dropped the bomb. Surprise. <laughs> I think I think I think she got kind of upset because we I kind of kept going. I was like, well, you know, it's actually a sequel to a different war. Uh, <laughs> but I am Brian Sparks. I'm Thomas Horton. And this is the Nation Podcast. And this month we've been discussing again, kind of kind of two things essentially. We've been discussing the works of composer Alan Menken, and also we've been discussing kind of the Disney Renaissance and Disney animation from the 80s and the 90s and then we'll so on and so forth in the 2000s as we'll talk about later in the month um but last week we talked about Beauty and the beast with which is kind of the second feature in the alan minkin kind of canon of disney films and what did we kind of talk about last week thomas regarding minkin and disney and kind of all things we're starting to see pop up we drew, we drew a lot of parallels between uh minkin and, and ashman's earlier work with uh, little shop of horrors and and just mm -hmm. use that to kind of show you know how they were progressing through their career but also kind of their the songs that they like to do and when they like to do them and kind of what points in the story they like to hit with a song uh and then as yeah. far as the disney renaissance we talked about you know beauty and the beast kind of bringing in the the merging of cgi and hand-drawn animation and and the idea of beauty and the beast especially uh, whereas little mermaid was kind of a more straightforward disney princess title beauty and the beast kind yeah. of starting to be the part in the disney renaissance when they go oh maybe we don't make everything about disney princesses falling in love which we still do get a lot of disney princesses falling in love but you know bell is obviously kind of groundbreaking for being a uh, touch more a 90s feminist character you know yeah yeah <laughs> um, yeah that, and i think we talked about that yeah it's it's kind of it's some of these earlier roles are pushing it's just Luckily, it's better than what was yeah. before. Yeah, is, is kind of the thing. Mm -hmm. We're not fully there yet, but we're getting there. Yeah, and we'll and we'll we'll continue to see as we get into the uh, middle and late '90s. You know, where Disney kind of begins to pivot away from the princesses completely. So, um, and and I think yeah. you know today we'll get a kind of male-driven uh, film that still still has a Disney princess in it, but but is kind of really one of the first ones to be told like from a male perspective, I guess. 
Yeah, a kind of an adventure film. Like I, 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 well, this in this Disney Renaissance period, I think Black Cauldron. If we go farther back, like you in the eighties, I feel uh, like uh, that was. Uh, with, in, it's not probably Disney Renaissance within the Disney princess kind of genre. Oh, yeah. that's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which was something with yeah, yes, with Tangled. People fair, yes. kind of brought up when Tangled came out. They were like, "Oh, they're just trying to trick us. It's a princess movie with a male lead." And I was like, "That's yeah. what Aladdin is." <laughs> yeah, and we'll talk about that later in the mm-hmm. month too with Tangled. Um. But you know, yeah, it is, and and I mean, I, I think Beauty and the Beast kind of does that. We talked about where Ashman was very, like, who's the main character? Is it the Beast or Belle? And he felt that Beast was technically the main character b- because they had the biggest change mm-hmm. over time, is the thing. But still, kind of being told from Belle's. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big a I'm a big time. defender of the type of movie where the main character just changes people around them. You know, let's let's make a yeah. letterbox list: Beauty and the Beast being there. I can't think of any Forrest Gump. Maybe <laughs> there we go. Forrest Gump, yeah. <laughs> James Bond movies. I don't know. It's yeah, never changing protagonist. Um, but yeah, and Minkin, we kind of talked about kind of where he's at, and we'll talk about more here today of like where he's at personally with kind of the death of Howard Ashman, who is kind of at that point, and many people say was kind of the person who the, the one of the most integral parts of the Disney Renaissance. Mm-hmm while he was only involved in three films and Aladdin being his, his last one that he was involved in. But yeah, we talked about that. And so today we're talking about Aladdin, as we said, which released in 1992. Um, and if you're on this podcast, you probably know what Aladdin's about. <laughs> so I'll be very brief. Aladdin's about a street urchin who finds a lamp, gets a genie and starts making wishes and falls in love with the princess of Agrabah. There we go. That's mm-hmm. it. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to move on. Um, you know, it's streaming on Disney Plus. Big shout out. We should we should have been sponsored by Disney Plus for this month. I mean, dang. For this month. Well, hey, you should talk to someone, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, today we're talking about Aladdin. So what's, what's kind of your history with Aladdin, Thomas? Because this feels like a very big like cornerstone and yeah. like millennials especially millennial guys honestly yeah is the thing, yeah is aladdin. We, we had aladdin on vhs um like i said last week kind of beauty and the beast was the go-to in my household because my dad liked beauty and the beast um yeah. i actually was a bigger fan of the one uh aladdin and the and the 40 thieves or oh, king, the, the, the king, king of the thieves, king of thieves yeah or whatever. i like that one yeah, i was i was a big fan of that one we also had jafar's return but um i don't, I don't even remember we, i did not like jafar's return we did not watch it that often <laughs> return yeah return jafar return yeah, jafar. Yeah, yeah but uh aladdin and the prince of thieves was was a big one for me but um but yeah i mean it was this one was i feel like the music especially for this one we had when we were kids we had the the tapes and then we got the CDs once, you know, our yeah. car changed over, but they had like the Disney collections and we had like mm. six volumes of them. And, and you know, that that had uh, you uh, never had a friend like me on there. I'm pretty sure it had the the Peebo Bryson version of uh, Whole New World and of Beauty and the Beast. Shout yeah. out Peebo Bryson, the real MVP <laughs> of the Disney Renaissance. Um, but yeah, so so probably not as big as Beauty and the Beast for me for my household, but still like you know an integral childhood yeah. Disney movie for sure. Yeah, similar. It, it it's I think the key was always like Robin Williams mm-hmm. as being the main draw here, and we'll discuss that as we go because it's actually kind of surprising how little he's in the movie. <laughs> Weird. Well, I, I do think I'm I'm sure we'll talk about his performance a lot, but I do think yeah. he's I I grew up like so used to like that's that's Genie, that's Robin Williams doing Genie. Like I was just revisiting it for this and I was like this is 
like even for Robin Williams, this is an insane performance. Like this yeah. is and, and you know, you kind of growing up, you're just like, oh, that's just how the genie is. And then to, to kind of reapproach as adult, it is just one of the most unique, I think, voice acting performances ever. Yeah. Well, like someone said it, uh, I read, I think it was Nathan Rubin, who's who uh, this critic who said that essentially with, with animation, there's pre Aladdin and post Aladdin. And that's specifically because of Robin Williams, mm -hmm. because after this, and it really, it goes more into play with, with Katzenberg when he goes over to DreamWorks, because basically Katzenberg just starts like casting out the wazoo basically for like big names in movies. Mm -hmm. So it's like the, sh like Shark Tale or Shrek or whatever, like, uh, uh, Ants was a big mm -hmm. one where it was like Stallone and Sharon Stone and Woody Allen at that time. It was like, it was all about kind of star power and Williams, his portray his performance in this and his kind of participation in this, I think opened the door for animation. And also what Pixar is kind of now opened mm -hmm. the door for bigger stars to be in animated films. I mean, if you don't have this, do you have Toy Story a few years later where mm -hmm. they're getting Tom Hanks kind of at the peak of his powers, even mm -hmm. though they're doing it for several years? And Tim Allen, to some extent, being one of the top tv stars in america um that wouldn't happen without ron williams being in a lad so mm -hmm. it opens the door for a lot um but yeah someone like i said I watched it a lot um not as big as not as big in my household as some of the other ones is a thing so so yeah so i guess what were you expecting kind of coming into this today after the Minkins, what were you expecting to see? <clears throat> yeah, I was I was really on the lookout for just kind of because I knew uh, we'll get into it, but I knew you know ha Ashman had just worked on this like a little bit, so yeah, I was curious to see kind of how uh, bringing a new lyricist in would drive the you know if if Minkin would keep it to kind of the same song structure that we established from kind of Little Shop, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, um, or to see if it would kind of change change it up a little bit um and and was surprised by a couple of things going through same, it. same. um and then also from a visual standpoint just seeing you know when i was a kid I, I really don't think i i noticed the cgi but now it looks so obvious and, so and you obvious. know so watching beauty and the beast seeing a couple of shots and then watching this and and you start to see the the huge you know the palace they do yeah. several times and like fully CGI. And I'm like, oh, wow, this, they, they were yeah. really going for it with this one. Or just, yeah, the, some of the magic carpet rides where mm -hmm. it's like, oh, this is a theme park ride. Theme park <laughs> ride here. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, similar, similar things here. And just kind of seeing how Minkin rebounds to some extent uh, with the changes that happens in this movie. And we'll go into that now with History of How It's Got Into Production. So after the death of Howard Ashman, Alan Minkin was in a busy and difficult time in his life. When talking to the Huffington Post a few years ago, Minkin said, the day Howard died, I was getting all my travel plans together to have the first recording session for Newsies. It mm. was not movable, so I flew out to LA, did the session, got back on a plane that took me to Baltimore. Basically, we buried Howard, had a funeral, then I flew back to LA to continue to work on Newsies. It was just, there was no time, no way to breathe. Um, we talked in the last episode about Minkin and Ashman spending a lot of time together in New York working on Beauty and the Beast because of Ashman's health weakening due to AIDS. One thing I found out just briefly, that I piece of tidbit information about that, one of the biggest influence they, they used for Beauty and the Beast was A Little Night Music from Stephen Sondheim. 
Mm. They were listening to that a lot during that. So as I talked about, Ashman and Making came Disney in the 1980s with hope to reinvigorate the animation genre. And with mega hits like Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast, the duo had done just that. But as I said in the last episode, Ashman came to Disney with a movie he wanted to make. And when Ashman and Minkin first met with Disney Animation, or specifically like Jeffrey Katzenberg, Ashman brought in a 40-page treatment for a musical adaptation of Aladdin and the Magic Lamp, which is a Middle Eastern folktale from 1001 Nights. Mm-hmm. And initially, Katzenberg and them said, no, we're good. Which one of these projects <laughs> do you want to do that we have? And they did Little Mermaid. But before Little Mermaid even op- opened, Katzenberg was just so high on Ashman and Minkin he hired them immediately to make their version of Aladdin. And the duo would start writing songs for the movie. And Ashman's idea was fairly faithful to the original story, but with this musical element, it changed the tone. He was kind of wanting it to be this campy 1930s-style musical with a Cab Calloway-like genie, Cab Calloway being from uh, early like Cotton Club days and 1930s mm-hmm. jazz, but... You might know him from Blues Brothers, which is what I know him from, <laughs> how, I was, how I was introduced. And and essentially when the story they had, it was very different. Aladdin had three friends that were real friends. Uh, it was Babcak, Omar, and Kasim were the three friends. I apologize if I butchered those names. And a key relationship was between Aladdin and his mother, with Aladdin wanting to, pr- Aladdin wanting to prove that he could be something, be someone or be, do something in his life. And the character of Jasmine was very different. She was apparently incredibly snobbish and was very happy to be living a luxurious life as a princess. One hmm. of her big one of her big songs was called Call Me a Princess. Hmm. Is what it was called. Um, and of course, I had the big song Proud of Your Boy, which was uh, basically <laughs> Aladdin's want, want song. I want song, essentially. Mm-hmm. Is I, want, I, I want my mom to be proud of me. And I think he wrote the... The flip side of that song, Humiliate the Boy, which oh. I think sung by Jafar is what it was going to be. Um, it's kind of like the ending thing of it. Yeah. For anyone not aware, the white nationalist group Proud Boys is named after that song. Uh, are you joking? No, they really are. No. Yeah. That song no. was like their like battle cry when they like started up. You, you're kidding. I'm no, really, I'm, I'm completely, oh I'm being 100% honest. That is so weird. Yeah. Like, that's just, a, for one, it's like weird that your group's just like, hey, we're named after a, a deleted Disney song. Yeah. And also, a delete, no, again, written by a openly a gay York, man. The, openly gay man. New York, that's very odd. That's very, yeah. I don't, I, wow, okay. Well, <laughs> that was not in my film facts. Well, there you um, go. So thank you for that. Um, but soon, according to James B. Stewart's Disney War book, the massive uh, book on the Disney st- the Disney years of 80s, and the 90s, and 2000s, uh, Disney CEO Michael Eisner apparently postponed the project or shelved it, believing that a Middle Eastern story didn't have a big enough appeal with mass audiences. <laughs> so that's when Ashman and Minkin would move over to Beauty and the Beast. And... Once they finished up on Beauty and the Beast, Minkin and Ashman still continued to work on Aladdin as Ashman's health dwindled, essentially. Ron Clements and John Musker, the directors of Little Mermaid, would then join Aladdin uh, and come on to direct it. And they were given three movies to choose from, either Aladdin, 
an adaptation of Swan Lake, or a movie called The King of the Jungle, which would later become The Lion okay. King. Oh, thought it was going to be Tarzan. Nope. You would think. Yeah. Jungle. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Linda Wolverton, who was the writer on Beauty and the Beast, would come on to create a script based off Ashman's original treatment. She also took several ideas from the 1940 film The Thief of Baghdad, which is where the name of the vil- for the vil- film's villain Jafar came from, and also Aladdin's sidekick, monkey sidekick Abu came from. Musker and Clements would then write a draft for the screenplay as well, making the genie character more of a comical sidekick than was in the initial idea that Ashman had. So Ashman would finally would sadly pass away in March 1991 with most songs written and Minkin's score also written. But a month later in April, uh, the directors delivered a story reel to Jeffrey Katzenberg. And what followed next would be later referred to by Disney animators as Black Friday. Remember when I said that Beauty and the Beast, when they showed Beauty and the Beast to Katzenberg and Peter Schneider, who was the head of Disney Animation Time, they just completely scrapped it a year of production? Well, they did it again. Oh, my God. Katzenberg said he didn't engage with the story, saying it wasn't compelling and commenting that Aladdin wasn't a captivating character. He said Jasmine was having a bigger impact for him than Aladdin was. So he told them to start over completely and he would not be moving the release date of the movie, which was a year and a half away. Wow. So they would have to completely start over. Katzenberg told Musker and Clements to not feel obligated to stick to Ashman's original vision for the movie. Katzenberg also began suggesting a lot of changes, including dealing with some of Ashman's original characters, specifically Aladdin's best friends and his mother. Katzenberg allegedly said, 86 the mother, the mom's a zero. And that in turn would then cut the song <laughs> Proud, of, Proud of Your Boy. Uh, the screwing duo of Ted Elliott and Terry Rosio would be hired to rewrite the script. Ted and Terry had most recently written Little Monsters, starring Harry Mandel and Fred Savage, I believe is what it was. Yes, yes, I, I remember that that cover at uh, Block, yep. from Blockbuster. I don't know that I ever saw that one, but uh, we covered them uh, not long ago, didn't we? What were... Uh... Or we were just talking about them in passing. <laughs> We've definitely covered them on the show. On the show before. Oh, oh, oh. Terry Rosio. Terry Rosio was the one who found that guy on like message boards and co wrote Deja Vu with him. You remember oh, the guy? Yes. The guy that wrote Deja Vu was like yes. a, a, had never written anything before. Yes, you're right. Mm-hmm. I completely forgot that. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. That's wild. Um, go check out our Tony Scott series if you guys want to know more about Tony Scott. But they are brought in to rewrite the script, and they would la- they become more famous for writing adventure movies. They wrote The Mask of Zorro and The Legend of Zorro, which is the sequel no one talks about. Um, they also <laughs> wrote the first four Pirates of the Caribbean, first four Pirates of the Caribbean movies. They also wrote Shrek as well, or co-writers on Shrek. So Aladdin kind of starts their career in a for big studio stuff in a way, and. Ted and Terry would have officially cut Aladdin's mother out of the story and also cutting many of the songs, but they would strengthen the character of Princess Jasmine, turning her from a spoiled princess to a more confident, independent princess who doesn't want to marry a prince. Uh, Katzenberg also made a change where initially in the script, it had her to be, she had to be married before she turned 16. And he felt like he wanted to make that more ambiguous with how old she actually was. (laughs) 
yeah and yeah. not be like a child bride was the thing so it was just like she has to be married to a prince by a certain point was mm-hmm. was kind of the thing so with the whole new script Disney's animation team was tasked with creating a follow-up to Disney's biggest animated film with Beauty and the Beast, and now they only had a year and a half to do it. So, Thomas, let's move to favorite scenes with that. So, what's one of your favorite scenes or favorite aspects of this movie you want to bring up first? So, something we we talked about with with Minkin and Ashman is kind of the the dual punch of their openings, which is the kind of yeah. prologue setting the scene and then the like meet meet the main character and i think they i think absolutely hit it out of the park with this one again the the prologue with um with robin williams probably not politically correct anymore but (laughs) robin williams playing kind of the merchant character but but it's it's just an immediate i think by by having robin williams voice that character and by having him do his kind of shtick it is just like immediately like this is not like any disney movie you've seen before you know correct just just like right off the start especially because genie doesn't show up until so much later in the movie you really do need that kind of setting the tone right at the start that like this is yeah like yes they didn't completely go with ashman's kind of vision of it being like kind of like a like a road to movie you know but they still have this kind of like slapstick screwball energy to it that that williams brings yeah um so by by having him do Arabian Nights and kind of just riff, you know, they got the the Tupperware, like yeah, oh, making still fries, fresh. yeah, <laughs> yeah, making uh, fries, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, it 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 drops you right into this, like okay, this is not like pop culture references are gonna be are gonna yeah. be on the table here, like there's gonna be asides to the camera. Um, this yes. is not like a Disney fairy tale like you've ever seen it before. Yeah, because like, and I mean, immediately they break the fourth wall mm-hmm. with with all that. Is like usually it's like there's no storybook opening, there's no kind of murals telling the story. It's this person talking to camera in a very modern voice. Yes, talking to you about this, and we'll talk about this more about this eighth century or this story that takes place in the eighth century in this mythical place known as Agraba. It's in the and now it feels like nothing. But in the moment, that feels like a massive, yeah, yeah. Shift. In a in a post Shrek world, you know, I feel like Shrek yes. just kind of like tripled down on this, but Agree like we completely. But yes. in a in a in a pre Shrek world, like I'm sure this was huge, like because you know Beauty and the Beast was, you know, for kind of the comedic beats that we talked about last week. It was never, it was still, and 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 even for like bucking some of the traditions of a fairy tale, it was still you know kind of a a, a, it was still a disney fairy tale just with kind of a more modern uh sensibilities but this Mm -hmm. is just like yeah this is this is almost this is a riff on disney movies uh, yes essentially yeah in the way that shrek would become even more later on where shrek is like all of it's that it's basically like we're putting one character who's that in a disney movie yeah who's gonna just riff on all of it and like what's going on here um and of course, and Ron Williams is kind of the perfect choice for that. Mm-hmm. And again, not to skipping ahead where he comes in, but like when he comes in, it's like a tornado. Like yeah. it really, it legitimately is, is the thing. And he comes in at the 36 minute mark. Wow. Of a 90 minute movie. People say kids don't have any, any attention <laughs> Just, span. Yeah. And like, but building up to it, building up to it is great. And, and yeah, he comes in and it's just, 
it really is like just madness and, and chaos. And in this moment, you're wondering when you know about animation, just how they're able to somehow get a handle on <laughs> Williams's performance. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, it's wild, but yeah, immediately kind of jumping in, you talk about the two songs. Oh, I love to, did you notice who the first person is that's, that's in the credits for the movie? Hmm. It's Alan Minkin. Oh, it literally nice. goes, it goes Aladdin. And the next thing is original score by Alan Minkin. And I was All like, right. wow, wow. He's the first one up. That's kind mm-hmm. of a, a big deal. Um, and yeah, you're, you're talking about the kind of opening thing. And this is what they do in being the beast as well. But the one jump ahead, which is Aladdin's big opener that establishes the world was written. The lyrics were by Tim Rice music by Alan Minkin. And we'll get more in Tim Rice a little bit later, but it's very similar to bell mm-hmm. where bell you have that opening like here's the world and then you bring in the reprise mm-hmm. that's essentially the i want song this yeah. very simple i want song this one's so good i love the uh i love the one jump ahead uh it's yeah yeah um it's an adventure film and then you get to him alone walking to his kind of hideaway and basically saying, there's so much more to me mm-hmm. that i want to show is what it is and it's if just only they it's, look closer. Yeah, if only they look closer. But it's, it's 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 really interesting to see how they can turn a very upbeat number and like just world building number into a very personal, yeah. intimate I want song. But it's almost like Aladdin saying, you know, like someone give me my shot or I'll rot here, you know? <laughs> Very much so. That's I think. Okay, here's uh, yeah. Go go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Because I have. I think we established last week uh, when we were drawing our Beauty and the Beast Lion King uh, parallels that Tim Rice is very good at writing Howard Ashman songs. This I wrote down. I was like, oh, this movie is Little Shop of Horrors. Mm. Like just kind of the plot. Mm-hmm. Like specifically, what happens is that with Seymour and Little Shop of Horrors, he gets Audrey too thinks audrey just loves him because of that mm-hmm. and can't give it up because of that and that's exactly what aladdin does here mm-hmm. is that he gets jasmine because of genie is what he feels like he's like well genie i can't let you free i can't, set you I can't free, let yeah. you go because she loves me because of you i don't care what that does to us but i have to keep you around now i'm like oh that's the same thing that the seymour does in little shop is that he's just like no no no. she loves me because of you so i have to keep you around that's why i'll just we'll deal with it um it's just a much more family friendly version well you know little shop you can say family friendly to some extent <laughs> but it's a little it's a little more positive it's like it, it it's <laughs> they don't all get eaten in, in the end correct of this that's what i'm trying to say yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but it, well it's more like it's more understanding that's the thing that little shot we talked about how like seymour gets off at the end because of what he does even though he does he's killed all these people aladdin's just it, it's in a place of insecurity is what it is mm-hmm. like that's the whole thing and that brings me to point two where i thought was very interesting with this movie that i was so surprised by is that you're kind of four big people aladdin jasmine genie and jafar have very clear wants and motivate like very clear of like what they mm-hmm. want by the end of this movie is Jasmine wants to decide who she wants to marry and have con- more control over her life. Aladdin wants to show that he's more than what meets the eye. He is a diamond mm-hmm. in the rough. Jafar wants the power and the greed and becoming Sultan and Genie wants to be free. Mm-hmm. And almost every time we meet them very early on, it is clearly established what we're doing. 
And then the rest of the movie, again, this is just basic kind of screenwriting type stuff, but the rest of the movie we're spending seeing these four characters. Yeah, all four of them are just kind of interacting in some way. Yeah, yes, based off of some how way. all of their wants conflict with each other. Yeah. Yes, yes. And I know basic screenwriting, but I just once I look at like kind of the art behind this. I mean, you, you that, know, you and I were in a screenwriting class together. We watched several yes. like Disney and kids movies like that's that's the, honestly sometimes the best way to kind of recognize structure is to look at yeah. the most simplified version of it. Correct. And and so yeah, it's it's really it's really just interesting to see. And and with this one too, talking about um the I wants and stuff and kind of the influence, like with Jafar, Jafar has a very similar um uh seems very similar to to, to the, the Queen in Snow White was kind of what I wrote down with the like trying to find the person that can get the want or whatever mm-hmm. and discover them and essentially get rid of them. Basically. Has the ability to disguise himself as a Yes. <laughs> An old as Becker. a decrepit old person. That's, that's, yes, that's the third correct. time we've seen this in in a Disney movie. Well, Snow White. This what's the, what's the, uh... the Beauty and the Beast? Oh yeah, yeah. The the the, the lady who who gets the, mad at a eleven year old kid. The, the enchantress um, we've discovered now is the villain of the story. It's kind of the villain of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I know initially like they're gonna show the the, the, the I think back. I forgot to say this last time. I think they were supposed to show like an animated sequence where it showed like a young little kid and he turns into the beast and they're just like that seems kind of dumb <laughs> and apparently ashman got very upset by that <laughs> or something um but yeah uh but with scenes wise uh, to kind of go in this again i love one jump ahead i, I do love the kind of interplay between jasmine and aladdin early on um and seeing kind of their chemistry and and everything but specifically when Aladdin ends up going to the cave of wonders, the cave of wonders, just like in, ta- in terms of animation, mm-hmm. it's still just like jaw dropping is, is the thing. And that's the big thing talking about the animation of this movie is that while being the beast, I think is a, is a more well defined animated film, if that makes sense. And there's, and I think there's been more, more stunning shots in it. I think, this one you can tell is is more advanced in some way. Yeah, like, yeah. It's the, not it's not as rough around the edges with certain shots. It's very, it, it's more polished is the thing. Yeah, and I think the the CGI in Beauty and the Beast was used. We we talked a lot last week about kind of how the camera moves in Beauty and the Beast, and the mm. CGI I think for the most part was just used to pull off like more complicated camera moves, like the uh, like the ballroom scene. You know, it was yeah. just like how can we we need like 3D images to be able to move this camera and this like crane crazy crane shot they do that you never see in, in animated films. Yeah. And and by this movie they're they're using it more to you know like with the Cave of Wonders like they're they're using it to create these kinds of images that we've never seen in an animated film before. And mm-hmm. and then like you said a lot of the times when they're on the carpet and they're kind of soaring through things to kind of give it a little bit more of like a 3D tactile feel to it. Yeah. I mean, that's it. When, when, the, when the carpet is going to the Cave of Wonders, when, they're, when, they're, when he's trying to get Aladdin out of there, I was like, oh, this is like a video game. This is very <laughs> much like a video game or a theme park ride with kind of the because basically from the POV of Aladdin is the thing. And it feels mm-hmm. like a POV video game. And. It, it, it's like and, and that's where you can spot like what you're saying where the, where the cgi and stuff comes in is those moments where it's it's not as well it's not as blended as well as it would be today is the thing mm-hmm. um but still kind of a marvel to see and it's, and specifically when the tiger 
comes out and, and the whole mm-hmm. opening of the mouth, it feels just because it's otherworldly in a way, it kind of makes sense. That it has a different feel to it than the rest of it. I love to, we talk about Genie a lot, but I got to give my shout out to Gilbert Godfrey as Iago. <laughs> Cause I think he's amazing. Like it's just the way he, 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 and I heard he got cast based off his performance in Beverly Hills Cop 2. So shout out Tony Scott a second time on this episode. All right, yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> um, and and but I love when like this is a very specific like specific scene where like Jafar is like hiding his uh like uh secret layer where he's like shutting the door and he shuts it on on Iago and he's like Jafar, Jafar, I'm stuck, Jafar, and he just <laughs> keeps like he, just the way he's like always like like trying to yell but whisper at the same mm-hmm. time and the whole bit of like he's playing a dumb pair a dumb like bird and like and then he's just like god i hate this guy (laughs) with the crackers yeah Yeah, he's like he's like when we when we become salt i'm gonna i'm gonna feed him crackers to see how he likes it do you have another do you have a scene you want to talk about another scene you want to talk about i mean we're at the cave of wonders i feel like we can talk a little bit more about uh never had a friend like me because yeah yeah, it's it is it is robin williams like yeah the the idea that you would kind of score and animate you know what robin williams kind of got his start doing on stage is wild it's it's crazy that they were like let's just let him do all these characters and it's gonna be a song and we're gonna animate the whole thing yeah (laughs) but i i think what's surprising because this is one of the songs that ashman wrote is that so the lines i don't think have really changed it's just williams being as a gifted performer that he was is able to put his sensibilities yeah yeah yeah, in ashman's song someone could absolutely kind of sing it straightforward and not embody yeah. like every every line of it uh by becoming a different person for each reference for each within li- the yes. song. yes um but when you got robin williams and you then you let him do it yeah and you know it, it's again a, a credit to his talent that he can do the whole thing of improvising with everything else in this movie and when it comes to song it still had that same feel mm-hmm. when it's actually from the script uh um, and, and then again you know we've got this kind of it is obviously the genie's introduction but it also functions as uh you know our kind of like mid uh act one into act two like busby berkeley production like we've been talking about so it's it's under the sea it's it's be our guest Mm -hmm. it's like really kind of the one song that that is not like emotive in in all of those kind of you know aside from the the villain songs uh, even it's, though those those still have kind of like villain motivations in yeah. them. Yeah, this is like let me tell you something about it's like let me tell you something about us. Essentially, mm-hmm. is what it is. Yeah, and, and uh, you know it, it functions as kind of the with the start of Act Two. It's like a a new status quo, and that's you know be our guest kind of does yeah. that. This yeah. is I think I think Prince Ali is probably a little bit. It, it's it's, it's kind of the one two punch of yeah. Never had a friend like me into Prince Ali. It's like this is what I can do for you, and then yeah. Prince Ali is let like, me show right, you. Yeah, your yeah, your wish kind of uh has been granted and here's what comes with it yeah yeah friend like me it's 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 yeah it's just it's, just a, it's a good like sidekick song is kind of thing like you say it, it really it's it's funny you get two genie songs but really just a reprise from jafar that's not really a, like a, a i had completely song. forgotten it's I, a good song though it's a good yeah, song yeah i really didn't think that there was a villain song in this one i I, yeah. I was thinking back to like and and when i was thinking about kind of their ashman and minkins layout and you know kind of having two 
villain songs. And then I know I said last week that kind of at a certain point, they kind of stopped doing songs once kind of the conflict really gets rolling. And so I put this yeah. one on this week and I was like, oh, I was wrong. I completely forgot that Jafar has this like Prince Ali reprise at the yeah. Um, But yeah, it's great. It really is. It really is. And like, I would be interested to see what the what the because uh, I guess it's it's kind of in place of what whatever the humiliate the boy was supposed to be because essentially mm. what it's doing is what I assume, what I assume those two songs are doing a proud of your boy uh, and humiliate the boy was just the mere like kind of the antithesis of one another where we're flipping it all and that's what happens here is that we take the Prince Ali and it's supposed to be celebration type song of Aladdin getting what he wants essentially. And then now it's it's his downfall is that now mm-hmm. we're revealing who he actually is through the lie he told. And it's 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 really good. And it's also because that one was written by Tim Rice. It's a really good like you can't really tell the difference between the two things. It's, it's a good kind of melding of the two voices with Prince mm-hmm. Ali from Minkin or with the from Ashman and then Prince Ali reprise from from Rice. Mm hmm. Another thing I want to ask. Well, here, here I have a few questions here, and this is okay. this is not what did not work or whatever, but just the questions of like, I, um, does everyone just accept there's a magic carpet? <laughs> I mean, he's got Be- so many. He's got so many other things. I know, but like, what what it is is like, anytime they're like, "What is this?" They're like, "Oh, it's a magic carpet." They're like, oh, "Okay, okay, yeah." yeah. And I I'm like, I think it's kind of like the like the invisibility cloak in Harry Potter. Like they're super okay. rare, but like they they exist. Okay, because like, like the Sultan's like really wants to wants to ride it, but then Jasmine's like, "What is that?" And it's a magic carpet. Oh, okay, um, and I have this because I guess this, we're we're going into that because it's we're going to a whole new world sequence, which is a phenomenal song. My question is, and I, and they they kind of make up for it and they try to make sense of it all, but Jasmine falls for Aladdin very quickly yes. after like not wanting to have anything to do with them and then just like once on magic carpet she's like yo you're amazing yeah is what it feels it's like you just put me in this great car and i'll now always love you forever is what it feels like and they try to end she's like where she tries to catch him in the lie so it it somewhat makes sense but it's just a big jump very quickly mm-hmm. it's the thing yeah it's yes yeah yeah, yeah. i yeah. mean it, you know that's with, with a musical there's the the kind of like we're falling in love song, which I think is, is, is handled much better in beauty and the beast because it is kind of t- yes. told in, in montage. So, so you can believe it a little bit more. It's like, Oh, this is like a year passing. Yeah. Uh, you're, but with you're this seeing one, you're, the progression of it all. You're yeah, seeing with this one, it's in real time. And he's like, I can show you the world. And then she's like, Oh, awesome. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> you're like, we need to have like a, a night at the, at the club together or anything. <laughs> we're just like, I came to your room already. It's just, yeah. No, it, and that, and this, I guess, and this might bring it up later. This is kind of the critique of it with me is that I think some of the songs, this one specifically, where it does feel like the transition isn't isn't as strong as it could be. Mm-hmm. It sometimes just like you're in the middle of a dialogue scene, and then we hop into the singing of it, and and I don't know about musicals say what's right and what's wrong, but there's just something this time where it felt a little more jarring when we hopped into songs and when they do in Beauty and the Beast for some reason. Mm-hmm. It's like there's kind of no setup that the song's coming. It just kind of comes in a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think kind of along with that, uh, the sense of time is a little weird. Yes. In this one. 
Well, the sense of time is a little wonky. It, it, the pay, in this. I, I was like, this this movie is like almost moving too fast. <laughs> like it weirdly was to me, which is surprising to say. I didn't expect that. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, wow, we're just kind of going from place to. And sometimes that's great. It's like, like I, I remember I thought that when I, when I did Encanto, where I was mm-hmm. watched that, I was like, wow, we're really blowing through this act too. Like mm-hmm. we're just like. And I think it works there. This yeah, was just some. Yeah. It felt. It was just. It was like, oh, we're we're kind of already like we're really hopping from place to place here, and yeah. maybe it's because it's it's older eyes are looking at it, and you're realizing, oh wait, this is. I think we're just so obsessed with the kind of the genie and the songs and this and that. We're not seeing how we're getting from here to there. Like mm-hmm. for a movie, as I said earlier, that has very clear wants that should be a big struggle. It it does kind of not happen easy but we're, we're hopping around very quickly is the thing mm-hmm. for for what for the amount of stakes or wants that are involved in this movie it was just somewhat surprising yeah so a l- little bit of what didn't work already in favorite yeah. scenes so, yeah, yeah. so you we'll, we'll, we'll revisit that um yeah, yeah, yeah. uh any more any that's more it for scenes? me did you did you have another one i really i i love the end i love genie getting his freedom yeah. i think williams plays that yeah. so well and, and yeah. i think it's it's the it's the most like clear and motivating want out of anybody. <laughs> you talked about how it clear is. the wants it are, is. but I think like like Genie's freedom is the most motivating for me as a viewer. Um, to the point where when Aladdin like won't give it to him, it really kind of turns me against the Aladdin, protagonist, which might be yeah. a weakness in the script. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're kind of uh, like, no, why do you like? Because then the question is like, wait, why do you need him? It's just one wish left. Like, what are you gonna do? What, what what's it gonna do for the like to have you have your rent it doesn't mean yeah. anything can't wish for anything else yeah just, you wish for one more thing and that's it um and yeah and the animation gets great with the bit with the big jafar and and the even even the kind of the dark dark version of of genie is what it is mm-hmm. where he's just like a muscular massive giant uh mm-hmm. it's really great uh shout wilhelm scream we get a wilhelm scream in here at one point uh i think when they're picking up the the agraba the sultan's palace you hear that wilhelm screams when someone i know i know everyone's kind of said it before this idea that like movies conditioned our generation to be more scared of quicksand than we should be but uh the the jasmine in the hourglass also up there oh, was yeah. like just like i was so convinced as a kid that like drowning in sand was going to be a, uh, a, a regular threat in my life yeah well yeah, now it's a more metaphorical sense of, <laughs> of, of, of quicksand. Um, anyway, but I guess moving on to onset life. Yeah. So while Katzenberg wanted a lot of changes, as we said, directors John Musker and Ron Clements held firm in what they wanted Aladdin to be, a fast-paced film infused with contemporary sensibilities in hopes to push Disney animation to new heights. Well, I think they succeeded in that. Um, Musker and Clements would soon hire Eric Goldberg, an AMA they had recruited from London, I believe. Yeah, he had a London-based uh, uh, commercial, anime commercial company in London. Uh, Goldberg would be, would be hired to be the supervising ad- animator for the genie, but he would soon begin creating designs for several characters. His inspiration for the design of genie was the works of Al Hirschfeld, a famous cartoonist who did caricatures, uh, Broadway stars throughout many decades, essentially. And the inspiration would soon appear throughout the entire film with many of the characters. Apparently, um, it kind of had these like kind of linear, like one line swoops, the idea. So it's this kind of more like circular type 
vibe mm-hmm. again more cartoonish is the thing and it apparently meshed well with the film's production design because yes anime films have production design as well the film's production designer richard vander uh vend said he was basing the look of the backgrounds on arabic calligraphy which had a very similar look to uh hirschfeld's work and having those long continuous swoops and speaking of the genie mm-hmm. let's talk about the casting <laughs> and musker and clements wrote the role with a specific person in mind and that was a person many thought they had zero chance of getting and that was robin williams katzenberg had suggested other actors like eddie murphy yeah, Steve Martin, Eddie Murphy, and John Candy were the three names that Katzenberg suggested if Williams ref- didn't do it because Williams was kind of on the rise as one of the biggest, not just comedy stars, but dramatic stars. Yeah, yeah. With, I mean, with this the is, release post-Dead Poets? Dead po- yeah, post-Dead Poets. I mean, this post-what, Fisher King? Uh, I think it's the right amount of time of Fisher King. It's post-Good Morning Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So he already has like two Oscar nominations at this point. And I think it's honest. I think Fisher King. I feel like we talked about this. Was that ninety one? Yeah. So it's the year. So yeah, Fisher King was the year we talked about last episode. Fisher King was ninety one. So yeah, it's pretty much like he's in the realm of like one of the biggest stars, both dramatically and and comedic and, and comedies essentially. And he decides to take this role, and we'll we'll basically Eric Goldberg, as the the supervising animator of Genie created an animated sequence of the genie synced with one of Williams' stand-up routines. And in the routine, Williams was pretending to have schizophrenia, so Goldberg animated the genie to where he had multiple heads popping out, and they began talking to one another. <laughs> and Katzenberg would show the animation to Robin Williams, and he would immediately sign on. But Williams agreed to do the film for SAG-scale pay. And can you, can you just can you explain what SAG-scale pay is, Thomas? Yeah, so you know when when you're in SAG, one of the which is the Screen Actors Guild, the same with yeah. kind of any union. Like one of the benefits is you can't if you're on a union show, there's a, a minimum wage basically, and so scale is the the minimum wage that you have to pay an actor on a show. Um, fun note about that, I'm sure you probably saw this TikTok as well because we get all the same TikToks. We but uh, there's an interview with Edward Norton the other day that he always takes scale on Wes Anderson movies. I did. I heard. I did see that. <laughs> And he's like, yeah, I lose money every time, basically, because <laughs> I want to be in it. Yeah, but and scale scale right now, I think is like, um, it's like ten forty one for a day player, and like like around like forty two hundred dollars for a week. Um, yeah, yeah, it it depends on what level of production you're on, because there's also like l- like ultra low budget indie, mm-hmm. low budget indie. But for middle but for Aladdin, uh, that for Aladdin, been, yeah. W- w- whatever inflation uh accounts for yeah. uh that would have so, been you know so he he was paid $75,000 for the movie wow. instead of getting his going rate of 8 million <laughs> so big difference mm-hmm. williams being the person he is apparently did this out of gratitude for the success of good morning vietnam which was released through touchstone pictures one of disney's live action banners he only had one condition and that was they could not use his name or image in the marketing and that his character of the genie would not take up more than 25% of any advertising works or any posters. Hmm. We will come back to that later, as okay. you will know. 
but but once Williams signs on, he's completely game for anything. Williams came in, but came in several times during the break of filming for both Hook and Toys. So he was kind of making those around the same time. And right in the middle, he's doing the animation, the recording sessions for this. They said within the first recording session, he he quickly veered away from the script, doing impressions and voices, rarely doing the same thing twice. It seems. It was usually unrare and still kind of is for animated film to have ad-libbing and improvisations. Mm-hmm. But Williams, they hired him kind of for that. They would give him topics or dialogue suggestions, and then he would just riff. Eric Bol- Goldberg said they got his entire bag of celebrity impressions. We got everything. We're going to have to use this stuff. It's too good not to. <laughs> and as I said, while the story is set in 8th century Agrabah, Williams is straight from 1992 America, basically. Mm-hmm. And... His performance was so good, Goldberg actually realized he was going to have to change Genie's appearance. Originally, for some reason, he envisioned the character as like a swirl of smoke with nose and eyes, and that was going to be the Genie. But he said the Genie had to deliver both visually and in terms of humor. We had to go as far as we could go in the animations that the audience would walk out knowing they had gotten their money's worth. So he basically said, we kind of had to show the full thing, the full body and gestures of Williams's genie because he was giving you so much. It was almost a crime not to show everything he was giving you. Mm-hmm. It was reported that he improvised at least 52 different characters throughout the film. And so we haven't really talked about the animators that much in, in this series so far. So there were a lot of animators that participated in all these kind of previous Disney Renaissance films and kind of the ones coming up in the nineties. And they were trained by Disney's original nine old men. And basically that was the nine old men were, were nine animators that were, that were really kind of Walt Disney's right hand men and most kind of important animators. And after Walt Disney died, a lot of them stayed on and kind of trained a lot of these younger animators who came out of Cal arts or wherever and two of the ones that were trained by those nine old men that were with the company for a while uh, were Glenn Keane and Andreas Deha. And Keane had done Ariel and Little Mermaid and the Beast and Beauty and the Beast are the kind of the characters he cre- helped create. Mm-hmm. And Deha had done King King Trident and Vanessa, who's the 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 human version of Ursula and Little Mermaid. And he also did Gaston and Beauty and the Beast. And for this film, Keen was supervising edit- animator on Aladdin, while Deha was supervising animator for Jafar, is what it was. And so the original version of Aladdin was supposed to look like a young Michael J. Fox, was the idea. Like a more boyish kind of character. And Keen realized he didn't really like that, and he kind of wanted to be more of like an action star. Ooh. And he said he wanted to go the opposite way of, of Prince Eric and Little Mermaid. He kind of wanted to make a more like, again, masculine mm-hmm. hero. And he said that he he got the character's intensity from Tom Cruise. That was his big influence, the intensity <laughs> of Aladdin. Uh, he also said he was influenced by like the the, phys- the physicality and body type of male beach volley- volleyball players he saw when he went to the beach in L.A. is what it was. For Deha, he said he wanted Jafar to be in contrast with the, the rest of the design of the, the film. So while everyone else doing uh, Hirschfeld as an influence with the swooping lines, Deha went against it, making him skinnier and more straight lined. And he also really wanted to incorporate a lot of Jonathan Freeman's gestures as Jafar, the actor who portrays Jafar. And that was kind of a big thing with 
creating all that. Uh, animator Will Finn did the same thing when it came to Gilbert Godfrey, who played Iago. Initially, Iago was supposed to be this calm and calculating character, while Jafar was to be the loud, rambunctious one, and they realized it'd be funnier if they switched it to where Jafar was the, like, stern, serious character when the sidekick was the comic sidekick. This movie hmm, feels yeah. like, while there was there was stuff of this beforehand, Aladdin feels almost like the template for like comic sidekicks mm -hmm. that becomes yeah. like the rest of the Disney Renaissance. Yeah. And I mean, even, you know, I, I think there's a direct line between Iago and the, uh, the, the bat in, uh, in Anastasia, you know? Yes. Yes. We're like, it's, it's a little bit there in being the beast with like, with, with Cogsworth and, and Lumiere, but something here feels more like just more defined. Mm -hmm. with it and also kind of like the idea of like a mute sidekick with with abu essentially and and also the magic yeah. carpet magic carpet but yeah I um, iago is kind of the intro because they, they don't really do it with like flotsam and jetsam iago is kind of the introduction of this like the villain sidekick i guess i guess lefou we don't really see lefou after the big fight but um but the idea of like a redeemable villain sidekick, you know, you get like yeah. iago as as the animated sequels would go on iago kind of yes. joins up with with their Aladdin. gang yeah. Uh, yeah and you know it's the same way with uh uh what's his face uh uh cronk 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 <laughs> yeah cronk yeah cronk not cronk baby cronk or is uh, it cronk no is it gr no yeah, it yeah no you're great cronk. i mean yeah 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 cronk yes cronk is is the football player yes yeah, sorry and, and baby cronk is the riz king um <laughs> uh no, with Kronk in, in Emperor's New Groove and that that kind of idea that, yeah, this kind of kind of the dumb, the dumb villain sidekick who can ultimately be redeemed. If I if I remember Anastasia correctly, that the the bat is I mean, I know he got like his own sequel, so I feel like that probably the same thing happens to him. Did he? Yeah, there's a, definitely an animated sequel just about uh, what was it? Bar Bartok Bartok. OK, well, it's it's funny because because. Uh... I was listening to like Disney classics last night as I was like writing this and I was mm. writing it. I heard a song. I was like, I don't know this song. Where is this from? This is like, it's like a really great song. And I was like, I don't know this from the Disney movie. And I look, I was like, oh, it's Anastasia. I was like, this yeah. is in the wrong playlist. Yep. Um, but I haven't seen Anastasia in years. But anyway, um, so with creating these characters, they were all animated separately from one another. So it would sometimes become difficult with certain animators, no, knowing, not knowing how the others were drawing their respective characters. So while Keen was working in Los Angeles, animator Mark Hen, who was the animator of Jasmine, was working in Orlando, Florida at Disney MGM Studios. I used to so, love that when you could go like watch them. Uh, yeah, the backlot tour. Yeah, and you could go watch yeah. them drawing. Is the backlot tour still there? No. That's it's not? that is the backlot is Star Wars now. That's what they okay. knocked down to to be Star Wars. Well, yeah, because because when it's like I I I wasn't there then, but like they used to have like the Mickey Mouse Club was shot there, so you could like see them like rehearsing or something. I remember mm -hmm. seeing. Um, I remember they used to have the old like House Street they have was was like back there, mm -hmm. and they tore that they, down. For they would Fast do that for, for the, the the car show. Yeah, they would do that up for like Christmas, and you could go back yeah. and see the lights and everything. Yeah, because because Ernest Saves Christmas was shot in Orlando, and that was like the big house they had was Vern's house from Ernest Saves Christmas. Anyway, there's that tidbit. Um, 
But yeah, they used to take you through the animation studio because I remember, and we'll we'll talk about. The, you know what? I'm gonna save that tidbit. You'll hear it on a later episode this month. <laughs> Don't forget it. But that's also why we bought another time we were touring the animation studio. Oh, yes, is, yes, is yes. when the guy we we stayed to talk to our tour guide, and they were animating Home on the Range, and the tour guide. I don't remember what we were talking to him about. It was after the tour was over and my family was talking to him and he was like, yeah, don't tell anybody this, but home on the range is going to be the last hand drawn animated film for Disney studios. So my family bought three copies of the DVD when it came out and then they released Mm -hmm. princess and the frog. And now we have three worthless copies of a terrible (laughs) animated film. Was that the story? Is there more of that story? Is that the story? No, there's another story. Okay. Uh, That one I knew. I don't know know about the other one. Yeah. Yeah. I knew about that one. We bought a lot of the range DVDs and they just became worthless immediately. Mm-hmm. And also it wasn't good. Is, is No, it was not thing. good, which I'm yeah. sure is why they probably did Princess and the Frog. They were like, we got to go out on a high note. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so Mark Hen, he did that in Orlando. And he's the, his weirdly his, his biggest inspiration. Uh, he, he kind of based Jasmine off his sister is what it was. He drew like his he had a picture of his sister. He used that as kind of the inspiration behind jasmine hopefully that was flattering to her you know yeah yeah. um uh, yeah Uh, for the magic carpet animation (laughs) anime randy cartwright said it was challenging creating the character saying it was sort of like acting by origami since it was a rectangular rectangular shape that expresses itself without dialogue yeah apparently cartwright would keep folding a piece of cloth while animating to see how to position the carpet that's gotta be tough to do yeah because it's always like yeah. bending in over itself and it, it yes it, it is kind of anthropomorphic but not fully anthropomorphic yep. so it has limbs but it doesn't really have a face yeah like sometimes hands come out like like the like the, the like the whatever yeah, like it's, the little ta- it's little tassels, tassels on the yes, end can be can Turn function as limbs yeah yeah but yeah it, it, but and they would add the like the surface of the carpet i guess the design digitally afterwards is what it was oh okay um and as i said they, they started using more computer animation in this movie um the cave of wonders being the big one also aladdin's escape from the cave but back to the music very quickly um for more songs because they had deleted a lot of songs um they had to find a different writer to help alan minkin with the lyrics of these songs so the man who pitched ashman and minkin to disney in the 1980s was David Geffen. And he again stepped in and suggested Jeffrey Katzenberg to bring in Tim Rice to help write more songs with Minkin. And Rice had done several of Andrew, Le- Andrew Lloyd Webber's musicals like Jesus Christ Superstar, Joseph the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, and Evita. And so when you add up all the songs written for the movie, I think there were 14 songs in total, but only seven appeared in the movie. The three from Ashman were and Ashman and Minkin were Arabian Nights, Friend Like Me, and Prince Ali, while Rice and Minkin did A Whole New World, One Jump Ahead, and its reprise of One Jump Ahead, and then the Prince Ali reprise from Jafar. Mm-hmm. And so with that, we move in the aftermath. So the release of this movie neared, and it was going to be re- released in November 1992. So it premiered November 11th, 1992, at the El Capitan Theater in Los Angeles, and then one other theater in New York City. Now, I guess here is where I'll talk about Robin Williams and the issues around the marketing of this movie. So Williams, one big reason why he did not want his name and likeness to be on the move on the poster and everything was because his movie Toys was coming out a month later. 
Mm. And he didn't want that to affect the box office in any way. And Disney essentially agreeing to not put him on the, the posters that much, the character being that big, ends up doing now most of the posters, putting Robin Williams' name on the poster and making Genie kind of, if you look at the posters, pretty much the centerpiece of these posters, essentially, or, or a bigger a big part of them. Um, and so it was kind of the opposite of what he wanted. And essentially, that caused a, a lot of issues. Um, I think even in like the Aladdin, the making of an animated film, Williams was listed above all the other main characters. Even his character of the peddler was listed above him, <laughs> above them. But he was only referred to in that book as the actor signed to play the genie is what it was. Um, what he became very upset by was Disney was using his voice for commercials for the movie, but also to sell toys and fast food tie-ins and all this other merchandising and stuff without paying Williams additional money, which made Williams very unhappy. Apparently one of the lines he said is the only reason Mickey Mouse has three fingers is, is because he can't pick up a check. <laughs> he explained New York, New York magazine that the merchandising for Mork and Mindy was different. He goes, the image is there, but the voice that's me. I gave them myself when it happened. I said, you know, I don't do that. And Disney apologized. And they said it was done by other people later on. Basically it was like they, he felt because he gave them everything, his whole thing, and did it for cheap, he expected not to be kind of used, basically taken advantage of. And he felt because mm-hmm. they were using his likeness because he gave it to him for so cheap, they were taking advantage of his kind of star power, basically. Um, Disney tried to attempt to apologize by sending Williams a Pablo Picasso painting, oh, is what it was. Casual. Worth worth more than a million dollars at the time. I, so apparently this move failed because uh, essentially it was a painting. It says it was a painting... A self-portrait of Picasso as the artist Vincent Van Gogh. I don't really know what that means. Um, but it allegedly clashed with Williams' home decor is what it was. Oh. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This million-dollar so, painting doesn't fit in with with my other million-dollar paintings. Our paintings. Yeah. So Williams refused to sign on for the 1994 direct-to-video movie sequel, The Return of Jafar. He would later... We're talking ahead a little bit. He would later re-sign on for the third movie after a new studio after Katzenberg left Disney, Joe Roth came in, issued an apology to Williams. So Williams came back and did the voice for Aladdin, the King of Thieves for a direct video, which is a big deal that you're getting Robin Williams to a direct video sequel. And I think he ended up becoming upset with Disney again and being on the outs them again, not long after because of the release of Bicentennial man is that he think mm. they, they he, he thought they failed and marketing the film the way he thought it should be is what it was. I got to I got to I don't I don't want to give myself too much credit as a kid, but that uh-huh. was one of the reasons I didn't like Return of Jafar was like the genie was off. Like I don't even think yeah. I knew. <laughs> like I knew I knew who Robin Williams was at the time, but like like so's off here, man. And and no, I'm pretty sure it's Homer Simpson does him in it's it's, it's, it's um Dan yeah, Castellanata. Dan, yeah, it is correct. Uh but yeah, that just wasn't wasn't my vibe. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm a sucker for a I'm a sucker for a bad dad movie. So you know, I was always <laughs> going to be down for the King of Thieves. Yeah, the King of Thieves. Yep. Um. So when Aladdin came out, Aladdin was a massive hit, and essentially Disney went after the the success of Beauty and the Beast because Beauty and the Beast 
essentially was such a big hit, not just in theaters, but also in home video. They were using the Beauty and the Beast VHS as a way to promote Aladdin. So they put a trailer on there. They put a trailer on 101 Dalmatians, like Disney re-release on VHS or whatever. So they had all these tie-ins to promote it. And so when it opened at two theaters on November 11th, it made close to $200,000 in its first five days in just two theaters. The film would then expand on November 25th, 1992, I guess around the time of Thanksgiving, and it would make $19.2 million the weekend, finishing second behind Home Alone 2, Lost in New York is what it was. It would take only eight weeks for the film to surpass Beauty and the Beast as the most successful animated Disney film at the box office. That, in turn, would later be surpassed by The Lion King. Mm-hmm. For the eighth week of its release, apparently... Aladdin collected $15.6 million, reaching the number one spot at the box office eight weeks after it was released. Um, by, by, by February of 93, it became the high, highest grossing film in 1992 in the U.S. and essentially would break records all around. It, it ended up grossing over $500 million worldwide, and which would later, of course, be topped by Lion King, just to show you how big Lion King was. And then it was released on video the next year. It was first released on September 29th, 1993 with no promotion. They had not started advertising the movie till October 1st. And, and just the, the, the movie's first three days of being available, it sold over 10 million copies. Wow. Setting the fastest sales record of any VHS at the time, grossing $265 million in that time period. Oh my which God. Is, which is the equivalent of, 537 million dollars today essentially yeah shout out to the to the home video market we really shot yeah. ourselves in the foot with uh <laughs> with streaming yeah we're just like let's do streaming it's it's we're gonna make less money it's gonna be great um in less th- in less than three weeks the vhs release of Latin sold over 16 million copies grossing over 400 million dollars which is equivalent of 810 million dollars nowadays they also had they had a video game in november that was also successful selling a 300 I'm sorry, selling 30 million units for that, earning mm-hmm. 500 million dollars, which is equivalent of one point one or basically one billion dollars today is what it was, just from the video game. Wow. So, needless to say, you can kind of understand what Ron Williams is probably pissed is that they're making all this money. And he got paid seventy five thousand dollars for this, <laughs> so massive hit with fans, but also with critics. Um, basically Roger Ebert gave it a good rating saying that Williams animation were born for one another. He did say, um, that some of the songs weren't as strong as what it was and claimed that, um, uh, or basically claimed that it was an inferior to Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast in terms of the music. And one thing I also talked about, which is what several people talked about was kind of the ethnic stereotypes within the movie. Yes. And it was received some controversy and kind of um, outcry from several from the American uh, Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee and several kind of committees that, that felt that it was ba- basically stereotypical characters, essentially, is what it was. Mm-hmm. They had some lines in, in Ashman's original uh, song that were for Arabian Nights that were cut and changed. Yes, basically. What was it? Where they they cut off your hand if they don't like your face? Yes, yes, yeah. Where they cut off your ear if they don't like mm. your face was what it was, and they changed it in the in the home video release to where it's flat and immense and the heat is intense. 
There's also controversy around, I mentioned last week about Richard Williams was the initial choice for Beauty and the Beast, but he turned down directing Beauty and the Beast to work on his unfinished film at the time, The Thief and the Cobbler. And basically, when Thief and the Co- it took years for this movie to come out. Basically, he started in the 60s, I believe, and it didn't come out to the 90s. And when it came out, people criticized it for being an Aladdin ripoff is what it was. <laughs> but Williams felt that they kind of took stuff from his version of the movie for Aladdin is what it was. Um, there's also controversy around uh, there possibly being a subliminal reference to or a line that Aladdin says about good teenagers take off your clothes. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, and that, then was, said that it, was one we definitely, you know, in like middle school, that yeah. was a thing. And we pulled out the VHS and, and, fast forwarded to that spot yeah it's that or it's like it's the it's the word sex appearing in the the sky the the, the priest and little mermaid yes the 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 little mermaid poster was a big one too Mm -hmm. um this is a big one uh musker and clement said that they admitted that that the the actor ad-libbed during the scene but they claimed that that was not the line that was used they said that the line was good tiger take off and go um so yeah but people weird line weird line weird, weird line. <laughs> um the weird ad lib also... there scott weinger of there full house full house yes thank you um and then for the oscars that year it would be it would be nominated for four oscars i read i don't know how true this is it said that it was disqualified for being nominated for best adapted screenplay because williams ad-libbed so much i i've i've heard that as well i don't yeah, know how he, tr- i don't know how true that is I, i've always heard that said that like a certain percentage is, there's only a, a certain amount of ad-lib that's allowed from the yeah. like submitted uh wga screenplay and like he went so far off of it that they yeah. i don't yeah that might be a uh urban uh, uh, legend uh, but yeah but it was still nine for four oscars including best sound effects best sound Best original, actually five Oscars. Best original song for a whole new world and a friend like me, and also best original score. Uh, they would win for a whole new world, Alan Menken and Tim Rice, and then Alan Menken would win for best original score. And to think about this is that Alan Menken, I almost think it talked about enough. He won three Oscars for best original score in four years' time. Yeah. As someone who, won, you know, was a was a musical songwriter, it was not, yes. you know, by trade, at, at least at a first, film a, a film composer. Yeah. And he's yes. obviously going up against real film composers and just winning every single time. Yeah. Three out of four. He, and he wins three Oscars for songs. So he wins six Oscars in four years. That's wild. Honestly, yep. it doesn't talk about enough. Yeah. Basically, he was up against a river runs through it. Howard's in Chaplin, Basic Instinct. Jerry uh, Jerry Goldsmith score and a John Barry score. Wow. But yeah, I mean, I think he ends up winning nine total Oscars, I believe, overall by the end of it all. I'll I'll check that as the month goes on. But yeah, six Oscars in four years is is a wild yeah not bad to say. Um. But yeah, the fi- the film would be again massive hit. It would end up inspiring two sequels, as we talked about a television show. Did you yes. watch the TV show? I did. I did. Yeah, 
uh, television show and a Broadway musical because uh, Disney began to realize with this Disney Renaissance period with Alan Menken's music and Howard Ashton's music and all the other kind of Stephen Schwartz, Tim Rice, is that it became kind of a uh, a launching pad for Broadway musicals because these animated films. And that's when Disney became more involved in Broadway as a whole in New York. And that's when kind of the whole Times Square Broadway scene really kind of transformed because Disney came in and started buying up some older theaters and renovating them was the big thing. It made it more mm-hmm. of a vacation destination. And also Rudy Giuliani coming in and being the mayor at that point in time. But <laughs> um, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, so, yeah. With all that, what worked about this film, Thomas? Robin Williams. Hand down. Um, and then I think, you know, the... I think Tim Rice stepping in for Howard Ashman is, is really impressively done. Like we talked about, I agree. I he, agree. he is able to match some of Ashman's uh, kind of works in progress, but then with the stuff that he's writing himself, he, he is also able to fit into that kind of their, their style and structure uh, mm-hmm. in a way that I think is really admirable. I, I, I do. It feels like he came in and said like, not like I'm taking over this movie. He came in and said like, I'm finishing howard ashman's work you know yeah um and then you know he also did that for lion king um but yeah that's uh, all i think <laughs> yeah um but yeah i think i think the the voice cast is is robin williams and gilbert godfrey especially we, we can yeah. we can discuss later uh some of the rest of the voice cast but um but yeah that and you know i, I it feels like they're continuing to push the animation yep. forward and um yeah i think again it's this coming at minkin chronologically i think his score i think his film scoring capabilities just continue to get better and better i think that you know this one is the last one we talked about kind of his classical inspirations and and kind of scoring it as a fairy tale but like this one's a an action movie you know it's an adventure film yeah he's he hasn't really tried doing this yet and yeah. uh and it's you know obviously got a, a middle eastern flair to it and and i think he continues to step up to the the film compo this is not something i was expecting to be paying as much attention to when we decided to do the yeah. Lincoln month was like yeah. how he was maturing as a film composer but it really is quite impressive i mean it seems like as you know this almost like it could be something that hans zimmer might do is what you're yes what, what, yeah, yeah yeah this yes. is this yeah. is definitely one well, he you know he he did Lion King, which I still think is like one of his best soundtracks. Uh, and yeah. is like not I, I told somebody recently, I was like, Yeah, just like that like Hans Zimmer song from Lion King, and they're like, Hans Zimmer did Lion King. I was like, Yeah, you gotta listen. Don't just listen to the music, listen to the scores. Yeah. Uh well we've talked about this before, is like everyone's just like Hans Zimmer's great. You're like, What's what's it's usually they, they start listening like post Dark Chris, Knight. Christopher Nolan stuff. Yeah. Chris Christopher Nolan stuff or or, or pirates even. Mm-hmm. But like dude was making good stuff. And I know as we've talked about before kind of off record, but like sometimes like just more complex and interesting stuff yeah. than what he does now. He, he he does do great stuff now. I'm not discrediting that, but like stuff that is up there as top tier Zimmer is in that period that no it's one talks about. Yeah. It's in the 90s. We've talked about green card a lot. That yeah. score does not, that should not be that good. Honestly, <laughs> God, should not be that good. Um, but yeah, so I, I think Minkin's continuing to impress me now that I'm like really fully paying attention to his kind of like film composer uh, yeah. career as well. Yeah, that's that's what works for me. I agree with all that. Again, animation's being pushed. Um, and 
and and again the writing the to, to in terms of like the character development i'm actually um really impressed with more than i expected to be with, with it so far with aladdin and, and being the beast being the beast has similar things where everyone has very clear wants but with this one it's just very it's more defined of like four big characters who seem to be just kind of bouncing off one another it's really kind of great um mm-hmm. does anything not work with aladdin uh you know we're really just with the the kind of uh middle eastern stereotypes here yep it, it's mm-hmm. i think it really shows here that we're casting white people white voice actors you know it's, yeah. it, it was it's coming back to it it was kind of jarring to hear steve from full house playing aladdin, aladdin. <laughs> yeah yeah. Um, yeah and then i think and and i i it feels the way that jasmine is addressed in this movie feels like a big step back from bell mm. um you know, and, and it might be that they were just like so into like, all right, we're making like boy movies now that they just mm. like completely reverted back to like damsel in distress, uh, like princess yeah. character. Yeah. But, um, you know, there there's there's a little bit of like, you know, kind of they have to do like at the beginning, like I'm a tough princess. But I mean, you know, George Lucas was doing that in this in, in the 80s. Um, yeah. But yeah with as as strong of of a character as bell feels like it does feel like in in gaining kind of this new male perspective not that not that movies needed any more male perspective but you know in in changing the point of view they had made a lot of progress with bell and then in changing the point of view in this movie we just like lost all of it (laughs) yeah and and that's because it is last week with being the beast but that's why i actually felt was a good improvement in the 2019 remake of aladdin was it felt like they were trying to give jasmine more stuff to do Mm. unfortunately Um, unfortunately the more stuff they gave her to do was sing a pasig and paul song yeah (laughs) (laughs) but uh, but i know (laughs) sorry guys uh, i i know i know i don't know what i can say I, i was told that a lot of stuff changed where it was more jasmine focused earlier on at my change through the process like in the early versions of mm-hmm. editing or whatever and and but i think naomi scott's really great as jasmine is the thing i thought she was kind of really fantastic and so i wish there was more of her in that but they're they're trying to right the wrongs of this mm-hmm. and they get closer but not fully and i think it and she like she i i i liked her in that movie but anyway um but yeah here i, I think it's that and i think too it's just it i do wonder and I don't usually say if it was just a, if just a, not as fast paced. Weirdly mm-hmm. enough, I think if it's just, if it, it's just a little bit more time between certain things. Yeah, I just think, yeah. I think we I think we hop into songs very quickly. Um, they don't feel as motivated all the time. Is the thing, and we but get one. The, you know, we we talked about uh with with the Ashman and with the Ashman and Minkin kind of blueprint before. They were always two yeah. two falling in love songs yeah it's like kind of like we're falling in love or you know like with with somewhere that's green it's worked into your i want song is like you know yeah. she's she's already like oh i could see a life with seymour so by the time you get to suddenly see more of this like dare in love or yeah. tale as old as time it's like it feels a little bit more earned because we had one yes. song that was like they're falling in love and yeah. uh to the, to the song that i'm we're in love now is yeah, the thing. yeah yeah and we just get all of that happening in one in one song um, yeah 
And that's why I, and I was just like, wow, we really just hopped. Like she's gotten on a carpet with this random dude and is like now in love with him when he, she was just like about to sick her tiger. Yeah. yeah she's, she's like, I'm not going to marry any of these guys. And then one of them shows up with his magic carpet. And the next day she's like, I want to marry him father. Yeah. And it's just like, it's okay. very much like, it's, it's like, cool. It's the, I mean, it's yeah. pretty cool to get to fly around <laughs> wherever you want to go, but I mean, it's it's like it's like the it's like the 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 cool guy getting the new car. You're like, oh, this guy's <laughs> this guy's. Oh, it. it's like it's like those those like YouTube pranks they used to do back when like YouTube was at its absolute oh, worst. And they'd be like, hey girl, oh, you want to go out with me? And she'd be like, no. no. And he'd be like, well, look at my car. And then she'd be like, oh, can I oh, go out yeah. with you now? That's very. Much <laughs> <laughs> oh, you still you said, oh, oh, let's go. Yeah, I'm I don't out. date. I don't date gold diggers. And then, boom, yeah. boom, 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 and then yeah. drive off in your but, car that you rented. But uh, Aladdin does because Aladdin is also kind of, <laughs> kind of a gold digger, so it kind of comes off as anyway. But yeah, that was the big that was the big thing. Um, all right, anything else with that? I don't think so. Okay, all right. Film facts. I just have one big one. Um, they add a lot of jokes and references to Disney's previous works in this movie. They even gave cameo appearances to directors uh, John Musker and Ron Clements, who were drawing some characters based on Disney workers in the movie. Uh, there's brief appearances of Beast, Sebastian, and Pinocchio. If you remember, I, there, there's he turns into Pinocchio at one point. Yes. And I think I saw Beast, and I can't remember where Sebastian pops up. Um, and then at the end of it, Jeannie is wearing a goofy hat and Hawaiian yes, shirt, which, yes. is, which is apparently also a reference to a short film Robin Williams did to promote, uh, or it was part of the tour at Disney MGM Studios in the late 80s. So it was like him taking that same wardrobe and wearing it for Jeannie is what it was. Um, all right. Awards. The Beatrice Strait Award, actor or actress limited scenes that kills it. I don't know if this technically counts as we've never done anything like this before, but I, I would want to give it to uh, Leia Salonga, who is the singing voice of Princess Jasmine and also later is the singing voice of Milan, also iconic uh, Broadway actress. But to have one song for Jasmine yeah. drop in and just absolutely kill it, I think I think is pretty, pretty solid. My other nominee uh is whoever voices that woman from uh, One Jump Ahead that does the still I think he's rather tasty. Just just <laughs> chewing the scenery out of that line. That's funny. You're right. You're right. Rather tasty, whatever <laughs> it is. Um, I, for, and for this, I'll go with Leah Salonga um, for jazz. Because it's, it's one, it's, it's an iconic song. Yeah. She only gets one. Jasmine only gets, only gets one this one. time. Yeah, and so and she does it incredibly well. So I, I'll I'll go with I'll go with that for this. Very different. I don't know if I've ever done that before. Um, Sorry, Brad Kane, singing voice of Aladdin. <laughs> oh, I should have nominated Peebo Bryson. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any Potts X Factor Award supporting actor actress is the most memorable. I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, if, if we give it that, he's going to get two. I just want to say that right now. Yeah. He's getting two. I, um, I wouldn't I wouldn't give him this one if not, if he hadn't already built in the clause that he like had to be a supporting actor, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I can't well, again, give it to anybody else for supporting actor. You again, know? Like, he, he's, he, he doesn't show up till 36 minutes in. Then you kind of forget he goes away several times gotta go back throughout in the, the movie. He goes back in the lamp. It's I love the part when he's just like... Teeny tiny living space. 
there's that there's that line but also the uh the like every time you get in the bath someone rubs the lamp <laughs> like it, it, it's he again just the the array of emotions he shows of as you talked about earlier like like you're heartbroken when aladdin's like genie i'm not gonna free you i need you around and he's just like oh, okay like yeah i was you've been lying to everybody else i mean i felt kind of out of place that i haven't been mm-hmm. lied to yet like it's just like it's it's such a heartbreaking moment and then the part again when he when he is free and he's just like ask me for the denial no and he's just like so excited about it it's, 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 just, it's just like it's just it's, it's he's, he's phenomenal he's phenomenal and i guess that leads us into the gene hackman mvp award the person who carries the movie director actor etc it's, it's robin williams you know, any anytime any movie you giving me a Peter Laurie impression, I'm gonna you get me. I wrote I wrote that down as well. I wrote that down as well. I, I think like, I, I may have said this on here before, but the the Peter Laurie Looney Tunes was like haunted my dreams when I was a kid. I was <laughs> terrified, and then finally, like I didn't even know I didn't even know what the reference was, you know. And then like finally, my dad like showed me Casablanca. I was like, it's him. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I tell you, yeah. (laughs) And then you watched him and you're like, wow, this guy really (laughs) is creepy. Um, No, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's just, again, the, the, the statement of pre Aladdin, post Aladdin, while Minkin and Ashman and Minkin is changing the game in terms of the musical aspect of it. Williams really does open the door for Pixar, for DreamWorks. And people to to actually, I think, to make animated films blockbusters mm-hmm. because of that. It, it, that's kind of the the line we go is that he makes it such a um, appealing project to be a part of is that, yeah, you can work on it for several weeks and recording stuff. You can work on it for years, but the the, the benefits are are massive. Yeah, and I not to not to kind of elevate uh, Disney movies too much, but I I think he also kind of makes because there there had been attempts to kind of you know they they were these kind of stuffy uh, fairy tales, you know, and and there were attempts yes. to kind of make a, like Disney animated films or like kids movies like like pop art, you know, like yes. I think Oliver and Company is trying to do that, um, and and mm-hmm. obviously failing if you look at. Uh, critical reviews of oliver and company which i think many are wrong but i think this is kind of the introduction of like you know it, it can be a a kid's movie can also be an adult comedy can also you know yeah. there there can be these jokes that the that the kids don't get and and i think it you know people have been playing around with it for a while but i think this is where it really starts to hit on and then yeah that obviously becomes shrek that becomes cats all everything katzenberg does for the next 15 years yeah. uh 20 years really um yeah. kung fu panda jack black yeah. like it's it's like yeah yeah it's, yeah. yeah it's a big thing and also i the idea of adding like meta-ness to mm. animated films is the big thing too so again that was kind of in it with musker and clements wanting to do that but i think williams being kind of the perfect vessel mm-hmm. for that is the thing that's kind of the key thing all right final questions um I texted you about this of like, hey, what should we do here? Um, so I just said, pick a decade that you want. And we're just going to cast the genie because I think if we're cast, if we're doing Aladdin in any decade, we're having to cast kind of unknowns because we want to be 
accurate with who these characters are and not just like white teenagers yeah so, uh, yeah so, unfortunately any and there's other not decade a lot out there there's not yeah unfortunately any previous decade you wouldn't have had yeah. any uh middle eastern actors of of any sort of fame that we could pick and then you know it in america in america yeah yeah and then it feels weird and to say it in the modern age and just like redo these young people who were very recently given the honor of, of doing these roles in real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to come in and say like, yeah, that kid sucked. I'm casting someone else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but who would be a good genie in whatever decade you picked? Uh, you know, I, I was just trying to think, I, I don't know that I, I, I had a couple in mind that I was like the only people who could, who could hold a torch to this. And I don't, I don't know that, that any of them would have, you know, nobody's going to bring the exact same, uh, style as robin yeah. williams you know nobody can do it like that but i i did think it, you know at some point it, if if this had been attempted somewhat in this way and you, it's funny you mentioned cap calloway um but mm. a, another kind of jazz person i was thinking louis armstrong uh yeah yeah would have would have been interesting in this role um like louis armstrong high society louis armstrong you know yeah he's, uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, kind of the little little side character who's who's you know he doesn't really like wink at the camera in high society, but he is kind of our. Uh, I mean, he kind of does. He kind of does the beginning part. He goes, uh, "End of song, beginning of story." Like, yeah. It's like it's like it's yeah, like he's he's our like normal vision into this like crazy yeah. world of 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 high society. Yeah, that was my half attempt at Louis Armstrong. I I started to commit and then I just backed away. I yeah, backed away. Like, yeah. <laughs> Uh, the other one I definitely could see somebody trying to do like late seventies, early eighties would be Rodney Dangerfield in this role. Yes, and 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 Williams has an impersonation of Dangerfield yeah, in yeah, in, in, the, in the role. Yeah, that's yeah. probably that's probably what I, I thought of it. I you know who I would say honestly is Belushi. I think Belushi could have been the genie. Yeah, I, Belushi I, I, absolutely could have late seventies. I think Belushi could have been the genie. Yeah, and I, I mean I think it goes without saying that Eddie Murphy could have done it because he yes. does that with Donkey in Shrek. Like you know that is. And, donkey and is Mul- born and, from genie yeah. and and mulan and yeah mulan that's true yeah, yeah 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 so yeah and and murphy doesn't get enough credit for like he donkey's one thing but mulan he's also great in is the thing mm-hmm. but yeah that some good picks some good picks i think for sure but the, but it, all of those people would have had different takes on this like they're, they they're, that's the they thing would've. is there's literally no one in the world who could do this exactly yeah. like like no exactly there is, there is no other robin williams um exactly i agree and for a so, lot of those other people there is no other rodney dangerfield out there but um yeah. you know so, so yeah so if you're listening like reach out to us tell us who your genie would be in what decade i want to we, we want to hear what you think who do you like for your genie and your pick whatever decade you want to do let's hear it let's hear it does aladdin the movie fit with any other genres thomas um you know, it, it does have that kind of uh, screwball romance to it. There's yeah. the there's the like two different, uh, you know, if you really go back to our our screwball comedy month a uh, long yeah. way back, uh, you know, one of the things for a true screwball comedy is like a difference in class. And and yeah, that is that is for sure here in that kind of like fish out of water. They, they don't dwell on it. I would probably we talked about how fast paced this movie is. I would probably mine aladdin like not knowing how to act in high court a little as for, a prince uh, yeah, yeah for a little bit more content but they they really don't as much here but uh but it does have that kind of dynamic of like to a romance between two people who are from completely different worlds yeah uh, kind of played for comedic beats and that essay i almost wrote down 
this is like a rom-com. And then she fell in love with him so quickly. I was like, well, it's not like a rom-com. <laughs> yeah, you got to give him a little bit more chuff back, you know? It's yeah, like, and, and there wasn't. So, yeah, I, but uh, there's screwball tendencies, I, I, would, I would agree. And then um, I think, you know, it's interesting that, that you said kind of last week that um ashman pictured this as kind of like a road to yeah you know, the the old road to kind of buddy ben movies Crosby, I, bob hope yeah yeah because it it does still kind of maintain some of that buddy comedy blueprint with aladdin and genie like you like we were saying i think you know the the emotional weight of the film for better or for worse does become kind of their friendship because the the yeah. romance is the romance between the two is kind of resolved so quickly um yeah you're right yeah so that kind of all that kind of buddy comedy stuff about like we're becoming friends, I'm helping you out, uh, we're we're clashing over a certain misunderstanding or, or you know, and then we're going to fall apart and then and then we're going to come back together. Like there's all that kind of buddy comedy blueprint to it. So, I, you know, it, yeah. it'd be interesting to see the multiple iterations of the of the script and see how that kind of rolled over or if it was by mistake. But but I think it definitely retains yeah. some of you know, Ashman's original vision for it. Yeah. And also, was it more of a buddy film with his three friends that mm. Ashman had in there? Is, is it like, is it like four, is it, is it more like, like, uh, American graffiti, like four friends, like kind of teaming or not American, but like four friends teaming up and like, they mm. all like help the genie with like, like they become like his like servants or whatever. It's like Goonies. It's it's Goonies. Like the, the, yeah. the Goonies and, uh, and, uh, Oh, what's the, what's the pirate guy's name? <laughs> Oh, 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 one eye Willie. No, no, the the friend that they make. Hey, you guys. Um, oh, 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 Chunk. Chunk, yeah. No. Not, is it, no, Chunk's, is it Chunk's the other guy. Oh, God. People Why are am I ye- blanking? People are oh yelling at their, at their phones right now. <laughs> um, sloth. Oh, my sloth. God. Yes. But I could see like uh, all the three friends are just like 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 being the hype man for Aladdin to get Jasmine or whatever is what I think. It's a possibility, but... We'll never know. We'll never know. Last question. How does this film fit with the works of Alan Minkin? Like, what are we seeing now with this one? Um, you know, like we were saying with, with Tim Rice coming in this, I think this is, this will be, I think this fit in more with his work with Ashman than I expected it to. Like, mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I knew that Ashman had started early work on it and, and a lot of it had changed after his death. Um, but it felt more like an Ashman and Minkin project than I than I thought it was going to. And just knowing yeah. how how things are going to change as as he starts working with other lyricists, I, I think I think it, it I, I do have a lot of respect for Rice for kind of trying to maintain Ashman's voice in it. The, con- yeah, the continuity of it all. Mm-hmm. But like so we I said, think. I think I think uh, Ashman is continuing to mature as a as a composer. And I think this is also like we were talking about the the songs here kind of moved the script a little too fast which which yeah from a screenwriting standpoint isn't great but i think it shows like you know minkin's got his oscars now i think like he's steering the ship you know like yeah. the the, yeah. the music is i think everyone kind of at disney has realized that like the music is the main draw here now yeah. um you can sell those tapes you can sell those cds you can win the oscars um you can sell those, you know, they used to release those like VHSs that were just like music videos of all yeah. the like clips. Um, so, yeah, I think this one, I think this one absolutely shows this idea of like, yeah, just just make sure we get those songs in there. And, and yeah. maybe we cut a couple scenes from the of, of dialogue just to just to get those songs in. Yeah, no, I, no, I agree. 
I agree. And I think we'll continue to see Minkin evolve with next week's movie, and that is The Hunchback of Notre Dame. So stay tuned for that. We're also on our Patreon. At some point, we're doing newsies. I don't know what day, but we're doing newsies at some point, mm-hmm. and we're talking about Minkin's kind of transition from animation to live action and how that didn't go as planned. Yes. I'm, so, I'm, 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 I'm trying to... I, I watched newsies i'm trying to watch just so you know what i'll be bringing to that podcast i'm also going to watch the pro shot broadway staging oh. that's all on disney plus yeah because so. i know i know he cuts a song that people did not major, like in the majorly movie. reworks majorly uh, reworks certain characters one. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so. some big stuff so stay tuned for newsies at some point hunchback next week some would say it's the two most underrated films that we're covering because a lot of people love newsies a lot of people love hunchback mm. so the patreon if you haven't joined that be sure to join that so you can hear it we have the one dollar five dollar ten dollar tiers you get a lot more exclusive content newsletter more episodes etc so please do that if you can thank you so much for our patrons who are doing that right now and then, yeah and so i think that's it for this episode if you have any questions for us feel free to contact us at sonation podcast at gmail.com send us your questions comments kind words if you're a new listener or a fan of the show and for some reason you haven't subscribed to us yet be sure to do so so you can stay up to date on all of our new episodes you can subscribe to our show on apple Podcasts, spotify google podcast and stitcher for the time being um <laughs> or wherever your podcast and if you haven't already be sure to write us a review on your preferred podcast platform you guys let let everyone know that we are the real diamond in the rough you know a lot of podcasts out there but only only one of us can yeah. go into the uh the lion the, the tiger's mouth yeah that's us we're, that's in a nation <laughs> and we're not going to touch any more gold we're just focused on the movie nah, and that's it just just focus on the movies we get a little we can, sure we get a little distracted sometimes by goonies characters <laughs> but the focus sometimes here is giving you the, the best podcast possible and we'll keep doing it and you know if, if you feel like we need to improve on something you can tell us in the review just give us five stars mm-hmm. while you do it if you can to help the average. Anyway, yeah. but we appreciate that. Uh, and don't forget to follow follow us and like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Larabox, TikTok. We're not on Threads yet. I don't know if we will. Um, we'll see if just Twitter dies. Just or whatever. too many. This is a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff. I got a lot of posting to do. Um, but Thomas, thank you so much for joining me as always. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening. We hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye. Bye.